Open your Bibles to Acts chapter six and stand with me in honor of God's word, if you would. Acts chapter six. We're continuing in our series Improving Your Serve. Get Acts 6 1. It says, But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek speaking believers complained about the Hebrew speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem and many of the Jewish priests were converted to Father in heaven. Show us how the early church amidst incredible and unprecedented growth handled the very first church issue to pop up. That which could have caused division, Father God was dealt with and the number of believers continued to increase. Lord God, show us how to deal with division. Father, show us how to handle things as you would have us handle them in a way that would please you too. And as we look at your word, God, may our hearts be challenged and may we align ourselves with your word, not with the world, not with its ways or not even with the culture of our day. But with your word, O oh God, we ask and pray in Jesus' name. And if you're in agreement, say amen. You can be seated. It's estimated that this account in Scripture in Acts chapter 6 took place about five years after the upper room. So five years after the upper room experience, the Holy Spirit comes as a mighty rushing wind. We now have the very first church issue that hits the scene. And even in the midst of tremendous growth, we have this thing pop up, and the Bible says it began to spread. How many of you know that murmuring and complaining spreads like nothing else? The New Living says rumblings of discontent, whereas the ESV and the New King James use the word complaint. The Message Bible says hard feelings developed. And I just want you to stop for a moment and think with me. The Holy Spirit comes as a mighty rushing wind. 120 stumble out of the upper room under such Holy Spirit influence that people thought that they were drunk. Peter had to stand up and say, these are not drunk as you suppose. And just five years after this event, Eugene Peterson says in his message Bible, hard feelings began to develop. You know what that tells me? That tells me that no matter how great the church, no matter how great the move of God, hard feelings can always develop. That stuff can always arise and stuff can always happen. Say stuff happens with me. 
Stuff happens no matter how much the Holy Spirit's moving, no matter how great an outpouring there is. I don't think that there has been an outpouring or revival that could rival what took place out of the upper room. Yet hard feelings developed. Yet there were rumblings of discontent. Yet people were murmuring and complaining. And the issue, not saying that it wasn't legitimate, the issue was that Greek-speaking believers complained that their widows were being discriminated against. They felt that these widows' needs were not being met in the daily distribution of food, and the basis for their complaint was discrimination. You're discriminating. You're discriminating against us. And there's good reason to believe that there was a large group of Greek-speaking Jews. Um, please know that after the Jews that had been scattered, um, the, the diaspora, um, after um, Stephen stoning, you know, uh, they, they scattered all over the place. Well, when these Jews began to get older, they would start returning back to Jerusalem because they wanted to die in the holy city. And when the men would die, that would leave their wives as widows and with no one to provide for them, and these widows would gravitate towards the church because of how the Christian community was taking care of people. And so it was this natural progression that began to take place. The Jews had a system in place to meet needs. How many of you know that if a church is meeting needs in the community, it will draw attention to it? While the early church was meeting needs in the community, please know that there wasn't such a thing as a welfare system. The church was the welfare system back in the day. And here the Jews had a system in place to meet needs. Every Friday, enough money was given for 14 meals. There was also a daily distribution for others consisting of food and drink, which was delivered from house to house. So needs were met based on resident membership and through the daily distribution to additional needy widows and orphans. But the 12 disciples had a problem on their hands that not only affected the Greek-speaking widows, but it affected the whole congregation. Because how many of you know when murmuring and complaining takes place, it affects everybody? And it's amazing how we will listen to murmuring and complaining. Why is it we always want to believe the worst? Oh, I just knew that Restore Church wasn't everything it was cracked up to be. Oh, and I had heard about the leaders of that church, and I'm sure it's true. Oh, I believe it. And I'm not surprised at all that that happened to them. They acted always so pious, such holier than thou. We're so quick to believe the worst. We're so quick to believe the tabloids and any little bit of junk that could be said about anybody. And shame on us, especially in the church. Shame on us. Seems like we're quicker to believe the lies than we are to believe the truth these days. We should be quicker to pray than believe some of the stuff that we're hearing. So how did the 12 disciples handle this issue? Well, let's look at it again in verse 2, Acts 6, 2. It says, so the 12 called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. Notice how the apostles called everyone together because they wanted total participation in dealing with this. I love that. Hey, 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 we need everybody's help here. Something's wrong when just a few people want to do all the work and when they never ask for help. In fact, I'm sure in a congregation this size that there are some of you out there, you're not really quick to ask for help. 
And men, can I just say that we can be some of the guiltiest parties in not asking for help. Isn't it funny, guys? Um, we think something's wrong with our wives when they expect us to read their minds, but you do the very same thing and not asking for help. Well, they just should have known that I needed help. Why couldn't they have seen that I needed help? Anybody could see that I needed help. Sometimes people don't help because they're not invited to help and they don't know if you want help and they're afraid that if they step in and say, hey, do you need some help? Why, you don't think I can handle it? Why, you don't think I'm man enough? You don't think of what? What are you saying? You're saying I'm too old? I can't. So you need to ask. You need to ask. And a lot of times problems arise where people don't ask for help and they just expect everybody to offer. And I don't know why we think like that, but we do. And guys, we're the worst. We're the absolute worst in asking for help. I got it. I don't need anybody's help. You don't need help with directions. You, know, you don't need help with instructions. I mean, if you could figure, I don't even know why other people are on the face of the earth. We're so good at figuring everything out all the time. I don't know about you, but I think it's a blessing to know your limitations. I surely know mine. I ask for help. I, uh, I don't care. I can remember when I was in college, I, I'm not a good math student, and I'm not ashamed to admit it, and I don't know where... Uh, some of our boys get their math brains, but they don't get them from me. And um, I just, I just, I cannot get algebra. Um, just when I think I'd begun to figure it out, it seemed to change on me. I, I, I don't even know if I know what the parentheses mean. Uh, and the what's parentheses doing in a math equation anyway? You know, they're for a sentence, not a math equation. So, but I was blessed to have a brother-in-law who finished in the top 2% of the nation um, when he was in high school for math. He was, he's like a math genius. And so I uh, went over to his house. I had fallen behind, and I needed, this was a, like a, you know, a basic, I needed to, to pass this class. And my professor was wonderful. He said, I don't care if you come to class, just show up for the test. And I'm thinking, yes, I can't stand math, so I'm not gonna go to the class, and I'm just gonna pass the test. Isn't that brilliant? And yet... And yet I think some people handled their faith the same way. You got a Bible, you don't need to go to church. Um, and uh, so I, uh, amen, or oh me. So I go over to my brother-in-law's house and I said, you need to cram two chapters of college algebra into me and I need to pass it. He goes, why are you coming to me now? I said, because I'm an idiot, okay? I need your help. And uh, he goes, all right, sit down. They're probably teaching like this. He goes, you get the same result if you do it like this. I go, I understand that. And I aced that exam, and it carried me through the rest of the year. I think I finished like a C plus, which is a stellar grade for me in that class. And uh, I knew enough to ask for help. I knew that I couldn't figure, figure it out. And I think we need to get to the place where we want people to help us. Would you please say this is bigger than we are? It's amazing the way that we pray and the way that we act. They don't always line up. And yet... The apostles knew that they needed help and they needed total participation because this was spreading. And one way that you can stop anything spreading is by getting people involved, by getting them to claim ownership for it. Wait a minute, I'm a part of this. I'm helping out. You need to knock that off um, because everybody, once they begin to put some effort forth, they claim ownership for something. They want it to do well. They want it to succeed. And the disciples were smart enough to do that and because the apostles were in charge, they were the ones that needed to make a decision. Here's what I love about leadership. I love that after the fact, everybody's so critical about the decisions that are made, but where were they when the decision was being made? See, leadership makes decisions that nobody else wants to. 
and the disciples had to make a decision here. And we're all brilliant after the decision's made. Well, I wouldn't have done it that way. Well, where were you when we were making the decision or needed to make a decision? Everybody's so smart afterwards, but nobody has the courage to make the decision. Leaders make a decision. Somebody has to. That's why there are leaders. Somebody needs to make a decision here. And what I found is that the decisions are not always going to sit right with everybody, but they need to be made nonetheless. And the apostles here needed to make a call. They needed to make a decision. Even if it didn't sit right with anybody, someone needs to make the call. And that's what leaders do. Well, a decision needs to be made here. Um, does anybody here want to step up and make the decision? Okay. Um, well, here's what we're going to do with the information given us, with everything that's before us. This is the decision that we're going to make. And I think with Scripture as our guide, the decisions should be made on what is best for everyone in line with Scripture, especially when it comes to spiritual matters. What is the most biblical decision we could make? What would be best for everybody involved? And that's exactly what the disciples did. They made a decision that was right for them and the congregation. Notice in Acts 6-2 that we just read, it says in the ESV, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. The New King James says it's not desirable. The phrase, it is not right or it is not desirable, literally means not pleasing in God's eyes. Could it be that we make decisions at times that are not right in God's eyes, and more often than not, it is when we are shouldering much more than we need to. We think that we're pleasing God by doing more and more and more and more, and yet the apostles, they didn't model that at all. They said, this wouldn't be right for us to do this. This would not please God for us to assume another responsibility. There is always enough work for everybody, always. There is always enough work for everyone to, to share the load, especially where people are concerned. And I think the more people you get involved, the more work can be done, and the less burden it is on a few. Because what typically happens is that a few people do the majority of the work. And the people keep going to them because they know, they know their workhorses. We have workhorses in Restored Church. We have amazing people working 40, 50, 60 hours a week and still involved in ministry and faithfully so. And yet I know that if they keep shouldering the burden and keep running at the pace they are, they won't last long. Something's gonna break. Like my pastor used to say, your physical will eventually rebel against your schedule. And your body will tell you you're doing too much. Slow down. I don't think God's looking for Superman or, or Superwoman. I think God is looking for people to lead, but I believe he's asking that that load be shared and not assumed. I don't think God wants us assuming burdens. I think he's trying to get us to share the weight of ministry because ministry is very, very heavy. People's needs can be very, very heavy. And if you're the one trying to absorb it all and you're the one trying to get all the attention, you're probably not gonna last very long. And God will bring you to a point where you will learn how to trust him. I know of a guy that he could just go, 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 go. When I sat him down, he was on staff under us at one point and I sat him down and I said, you are not gonna make it five years running the pace that you are. 
I said, why don't you go home tonight? Why don't you pop some popcorn? Why don't you grab a movie? And why don't you just sit down with your wife? Because their door was a revolving door. You know, kids could come and go anytime they wanted to, and they were never stopped. They were, there, was, there was never, ever a hey, 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 hey. You know, the kids are sleeping, and we're just trying to get some rest here. You guys, there was no stopping. And sure enough, two years later, he said, I got to step down, man. We, you know, my wife can't handle this. And I said, look, I'm not going to say I told you so, but man, you have got to find a pace that works well for not only you, but for your wife and your kids. Because you're a family. I don't know if you realize that you're married, you have a family. And you need to slow down. And sure enough, this, this guy took a little bit of a break. And the next thing you know, um, he, uh, he tried to do this ministry and he had to pull back from that and tried to do this ministry and he had to pull back from that. And finally, he just stepped back from ministry completely and he's a very skilled guy and he went into um, skilled trades and one day when he was fixing a toilet, the call came and he was asked to pastor again. And I believe God had to get him to a point where he realized that everything was not on him. And the people that think that everything is on them typically don't last real long. The ministries that realize that it's all about Jesus and it rests on Jesus, those are the ones that last long because you can't sustain anything, but God can sustain all. And so these apostles realized that there could be things that they very well could do that they're capable of doing, but it wouldn't be pleasing in God's eyes if they did. And I think it would do well for us to model that as well. So the decision made is that which the apostles and all the believers believed would please God the most. And they selected seven men based on three things. Seven men based on three things. And keep in mind that these men were, were no lightweights in the kingdom of God. These men that were called to serve this food program were Stephen a man of incredible faith and, and wisdom. Philip, a man of incredible faith and wisdom. I mean, these were heavy hitters in the kingdom of God, and they were the ones asked to run this food program for these widows. And the three things that they based the decision on were first that they were well-respected. They were approved of by firsthand authentication. So what does that mean? That means that you are spoken well of, not just in here. Let's be honest, we all look good in here. Shoot, I look good in here. Everybody looks good in church. Everybody looks good in church. What do people say about you out there? What do they say about the way that things are in your house, in your workplace, in your school? What do you act like at school? What do you act like at work? What's your house really, really like? What, I mean, what do people say about you? Do people speak well of you? I mean, if I hear one person say something, I might be, but am I hearing a whole bunch of people saying things? What are people's firsthand authentications of you all about? Because really, we all shine in here, but where we're supposed to shine is in the midst of darkness out there. And these men were approved of, they were spoken well of, they were well-respected, they were full of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be full of the Holy Spirit. I believe full of the Holy Spirit means that you are so saturated with God that it's noticeable and it's seen. My pastor would say, you don't minister out of your cup, but out of the overflow of your saucer. You minister out of an overflow, not out of the contents of your cup. The cup is full of what you need to sustain yourself in ministry. 
um, or just you need to sustain yourself. Ministry, it, it's dealt with out of the overflow of your saucer. Is there an overflow? If there's not, you're probably overwhelmed. If there's not an overflow, you're probably overwhelmed. And you're trying to minister out of your cup. Your cup's what you need. The overflow is out of that which you minister to others. And a lot of people get involved in areas of ministry and they're not feeding enough to minister to other people. They're just trying to survive on what they, they were surviving on when they were just a Christian and not serving in an area of ministry. And all of a sudden they're overwhelmed as they begin to get involved because they haven't learned how to minister out of their overflow. You minister out of your overflow. The cup's you. The cup's you. The overflow, that's when you're so full that you're spilling over. You've got enough to share. You've got enough to give away. You know, it's one thing to be, to be reading the word and to be spending time with God and to be worshiping with God enough to keep you strong as a believer. It's another thing to be involved in an area of ministry and for there to be an overflow for you to minister out of. And then thirdly, they were full of wisdom. This is a good definition um, of, of wisdom. The capacity for rational thought, able to reasonably conclude, distinguish between right and wrong and the application of it. So what's the difference between knowledge and wisdom? Knowledge is something you got a head full of. Wisdom is knowing how to apply what you know and when to apply it. That's what wisdom is. And I know a lot of wise people. I know people that... They, they know when to share the knowledge that they have. They know, they know the opportune moment to share the knowledge that they have. They're wise. They know when. There are a lot of knowledgeable people, um, but sometimes the, those people with a head full, they don't, they don't know how to get it out. They don't know how to dispense it. Have you ever had teachers in school that were very knowledgeable, but man, they were horrible teachers, you know, they, those are just the worst classes. They did not know how to, to meet it out. They, did, they didn't know how to dispense the knowledge that they have. Wisdom knows how to dispense the knowledge that it has. Wisdom knows how. And these men were well-respected, full of the Holy Spirit, and they were full of wisdom. When these things were noticed, the disciples, the apostles, they laid hands on them and they prayed for them. So what are the qualifications for serving? First-hand approval and affirmation that you're spoken well of. Everybody's gonna speak well of you in church. I mean, if the church folk are speaking bad about you, you're in trouble. Um, everybody's gonna speak good about you in church. What do the people out there say? What do they say? And are they all wrong? Is everybody's perception wrong? What do they say about you? Secondly, full of the Holy Spirit, seen in and upon your life, therefore, you know, faithful. And let me, let me just say this. Faithfulness is, is seen. It's seen. Faithfulness is seen. But a faithful man who can find? Well, how do you find a faithful man? You see it. You don't tell people you're faithful. I'm faithful. I'm in church all the time. No, people either know that you're faithful or you aren't. I remember one time I had a, a, a pastor in the area um, who, you know, we disagreed, you know, doctrinally, and that's cool, you know. I don't believe one church should meet everybody's needs, um, but this guy just didn't think very highly of our church, didn't think that we taught the word here and that people were getting saved here. And, uh, and some gal came to him and claimed that she was a member of our church and that we refused to help her. 
and sent me a scathing email based on what that woman said about us and about our church. And I called my, my, my secretary over and I said, do you have any idea who this pastor is talking about? She goes, I know exactly who he's talking about. And she said, this person does not attend our church, yet we have helped them out financially before. And I thought, well, how sweet that he believed the best about us. So I sent him a wonderful email back. Could I please take you out to lunch? Um, this is the individual that I believe you're speaking about. In the future, would you believe the best about me? And I, in turn, will do the same. Never heard back from my friend, and he's no longer in the ministry today. Um, but faithfulness is seen. It's seen. If people look at you, would they say that you're faithful? I think the average believer attends church twice a month now. Scandalous. Twice a month. Oh my goodness, we used to attend twice a Sunday. Um, and now we're just trying to get people to come on Sunday. Amazing. We should also be rational, reasonable, able to distinguish between right and wrong. We're able to make sound judgment calls. We're able to distinguish, no, 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 that's wrong. We don't do that. We don't, we don't allow that. Um, you know, if you're going to be involved in an area of ministry, you should be able to live in such a way that people would say that, you know, that's, that's rational, that's reasonable living. They are capable of choosing between right and wrong. And there are just certain things that we as believers don't do because it's wrong, and we are convicted about that to the core of who we are, and we choose not to do it because it's wrong. We don't do that because it's wrong. Who says it's wrong? God and his words say it's wrong, so we don't do it, and we don't expect you to understand if you're not a believer. And I'm not trying to defend God to you. These are my personal convictions, and this is the way that I'm gonna live my life. You know, choose you know, whatever God you want to serve on this side of the Jordan or that side of the Jordan, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And even then, when it came to our sons, we, yeah, we told them you're going to church. I mean, it was like a non-negotiable. And, you know, am I, am I buying your food, your clothes? And, and, you know, am I paying for the electric bill and the 12 showers you take every day? You're going to church, okay? So you're, you're going to church. But even then, they had to choose to serve the Lord themselves. They had to choose. And if they chose, we're believing that our example somehow had a part to play in that, that we served God in such a way that was genuine enough and real enough that they would want to serve God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You have to live in such a way that it would make those around you choose to serve God as well. So people speak well of you, God's doing a clear work in you, and you have sound judgment. Man, sign them up to serve. Sign them up to serve. So how can we avoid church division and splits? Well, I believe you get more people serving. You, you, you get more people involved. Our criticism shouldn't be greater than our commitment. And seldom are people who are serving the most critical they're not the biggest complainers. Have you ever been to a restaurant and had the waiter or the waitress all of a sudden begin to gush and begin to puke about everything that they're, that they're going through? And of course, as Christians, you're you know, sympathetic and maybe you even leave them a big tip. But in your heart and your mind, you're thinking, we did not get away on a date night to have all of their troubles kind of 
spill out. Now, if the Holy Spirit's leading you, I'm not saying that, you know, you shouldn't be sensitive. Hey, are you doing okay? I mean, if they're standing there taking your order and they're crying, of course you're going to ask, okay? But something's wrong when the people who are supposed to be serving you are drawing attention to them and not to you. And when our hearts are off as Christians, we are stealing the attention from the very bride we're supposed to be serving, from the very lost and dying we're supposed to be serving. When our hearts are right, we're serving, and we're not trying to draw attention to ourselves. See, seldom will servants have time to complain or divide. I mean, it's too much, it's, it's too much effort. I mean, why would you get involved in all that scuttle in, in that rumor mill, it's exhausting. So typically when I'm involved in something, I wanna get to the root of it and I wanna find it out right now. Because I don't wanna expend any more energy than I, than I need to. I believe divisive people have way too much time in their hands. I'm thinking, good grief. When's the last time you got involved in church? When's the last time you were involved in an area of ministry? Seldom are the most committed, the most critical. So what we're doing this month is we're trying to get you involved and we're gonna look next week at how your involvement affects your spirituality when it's balanced and it's not overboard and it's not crazy. You're not trying to conquer the world all by yourself and get all the praise. But we want you involved. There's lots to do. And we really, really want you involved. And so as you walk out there, you probably already saw some of it. Um, there'll be tables and there, there are areas of ministry that want you to pray about seriously getting involved. And we want you to pray. We want you to pray. We want you to be involved, especially if you've been coming here for some length of time. Please get involved and help out around here. There's lots to be done. Lots to be done. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray um, I'm going to dismiss. We're going to open up these altars. And you are free um, to, maybe you've already given some thought. Maybe you noticed something as you were coming in and you want to give it some more um, thought. Maybe you want to ask more questions. Well, that's why they're out there. And so I'm, I'm praying, you know, I don't know about you, but no matter what I've gone through in my 35 years of being a Christian, it always made me feel better to help somebody else. Always. It's always a good thing to be involved in a way that could affect somebody else in a positive way. So I just want to pray and we'll open up these altars if you want prayer or you're free um, to go out.